We love every minute of Mondays, Johnny, because it's a new talk about that. We got a case of the Mondays is what we got. <laughs> We're cracking open, coping a case of Mondays. You know people love Mondays. Don't they? Well, it's, they, Mondays are a little bit weirder than they've ever been, so. It's true. She's like, oh, look, another day. Yeah. Every day is Blur's day. Yeah. Although I know there are people out there who've been going to work as normal, so they're probably like rolling their eyes at saying that. Like, yeah. no, nothing has changed except for everyone's freaking out, but, uh. So, like, we know people who, like, I know if we know FedEx driver, Evan, our friend is a FedEx driver. He's yeah. been, like, working more than ever. Yeah. Because he's delivering all the crap we're ordering. Yeah, he told me it was, Panic like, buying. He said it was, like, Christmas times five every day yeah. is what it is for them. I was like, Just wow. Just every gizmo that we think will make our lives better. Yeah. To give us something to kill time. I'm not going to lie. Something from Amazon shows up in my house every day right now. Do you get the, what's it called, Primnesia? Where you're like, what is in here? You're surprised. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my, I like this. You open it up. This is what I like. Why would I? You realize you ordered it? There used to be a Brian Regan bit about that, about how uh, he's old enough that when the microwave dings, he forgets what was in there. And he walks over and he's like, I can't wait to see what's in the magic box. <laughs> mac and cheese. And I like mac and cheese. <laughs> Yeah, I, so Laura makes fun of me because I love coffee. Yeah. That's not why she makes fun of me, Johnny. That's a, yeah. I love a coffee. So she doesn't think that I drink it in in high enough quantities to really be a coffee lover. She's emasculating you. Well, it's not that. It's like You're she... You're not high octane enough She takes her. down two, three full cups or whatever, and I'm, I mean, I do... That's I, I a lot, know. though. That's a... I want to I drink coffee throughout the whole day. Like, I want to just drink it. And so Savor I, it. I will go back... And I will heat it, reheat it in the microwave. Uh, but often, you know, I don't know if you know this, Johnny, but I get a little frenetic sometimes. No. And I end up kind of just moving to a lot of different things. So I will put my coffee in the microwave. Right. And I, and I have, by the way, programmed my microwave to have no sound. What? Because we have a certain microwave that it is the most annoying, like you want to kill someone when the food's ready. But it's how to let like, you know it's ready. Yeah, That's why not, you forget it, but though. It's not you're getting ready to tell me that you forget about your coffee let me tell after you saying, why. well, I program a microwave to be silent. By the way, my coffee's been in there a month. <laughs> you don't know. That's how it's telling you. This is not you. my fault. This is Frigid Air's fault. Like, I'm telling you, I've had not microwaves my whole life, Johnny. Yeah. And usually it's like, ding. It's done. Look at that humble brag. This one You've goes, had microwaves your whole life. <laughs> Let me tell you something, guys. I'm a high ruler. <laughs> We're making that kind of coin in the driver household. And so it goes, deep, deep, Oh, yeah, that is annoying. Deep, that's like a, it goes three, that's like an iPhone alarm. It's like a boat coming into harbor, okay. Johnny. It's like three long dings. And if you leave it and don't come back, right. it does it again two more times. Like, you're just like, oh, my gosh. And uh -huh. so if you're doing something else and can't, Johnny, this first world is so hard. So, so I, I unprogrammed the sound. You, or, wait. you figured out how to do it. Yeah. I did mean, you just disconnect a speaker or something? No, there's a setting on it. Like, I act, act like I did something. So it doesn't beep at all. It doesn't beep at all. And the other reason is... is Are you sure it's microwave? I used to turn... <laughs> it's just a clock now. You've just <laughs> you've disengaged all features. I just put it in the box, and then I just... Well, it's much warmer, but whatever. <laughs> it's like a sugar pill I'm taking. No, it, I, I used to, in the old days, when I used to get up earlier, because yeah. I had 
jobs and meetings and stuff to go to. Now my meetings happen at like This is eight. about you woke Laura <clears throat> up with the microwave, isn't it? I used to wake she's up. Light, she's a light sleeper. Up. I don't want to wake up Sadie or you Laura. You got yelled at. No, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. I, mean, I don't know why you're trying to make trouble for me. <laughs> None of that's even true. Shut that microwave off! I'm trying to sleep in here. Oh, so, sorry, baby. And then you get out the manual and you're just pouring through this manual trying to find some kind of setting. I got to save my marriage. Lord. <laughs> it was a dead on impression of Laura, by the way. She's going to love it when she hears that. Oh. She loves it because all my impressions of her are like some old guy from Kentucky. Yeah. Like, and you're like, oh, look at me. I guess I'm going to. And she's like, I don't sound like that at all. No, so, that's, yeah. At any rate, yes, obviously I will come back. She will find a cup of coffee in the microwave yeah. almost every day, <laughs> like just at two o'clock in the afternoon. She's like, um, hey. You know. Is this yours? And I'm like, it is. It is. But I, I didn't have to hear that incessant dinging. Well, she would think less of me because I don't drink coffee at all, you know. She couldn't think less of you. I, <laughs> and I'm back on the fizz train. You know, I was off sodas for a while, and now I'm back on the fizz but train. But you're not on fizzy water. You're on, like, actual I'm soda. I'm on, yeah, diet, diet soda. soda. Ugh, yeah. I can't do it, man. And uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Now I crave it again. Oh, no. So I wake up, and I want to diet Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah. So whereas you would go for your coffee... I'm drinking right. like 16 ounces of Diet Dr. Pepper. And you think, Start my day. You think that socially those things are the same. You think that we should be looked at as... No, I think it is interesting to me, though, that it's looked down on, like, because coffee's the norm, whatever, that if you say, I want to have a soda with yeah. whatever, that it's like, what? It's like, uh, same with the scooter, okay? A scooter is looked down oh, on we go. by motorcycle people. Here we go. Okay. What do you mean by motorcycle people? Motorcycle exactly. people. <laughs> <laughs> you motorcycle people. No, listen... A motorcycle and a scooter are basically the same. Like, my scooter will do, like, highway speeds. It'll do 80 miles an hour. Johnny, motorcycles do, like, 180 miles per hour. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, like, a, I can do, in other words, I can keep up with a motorcycle. Look, I'm not even a motorcycle person, and I already think your whole argument's... But listen, <laughs> the only difference is mine has an automatic transmission in it. It's just twist and go. It's a twist on the handle and go. It's no shifting. Twist and go. Was it like a trash bag? Twist, it is. Twist and go. <laughs> right to the trash. <laughs> So, but here's the deal. You would, but you wouldn't look down on an automatic transmission in a car. You see what I'm saying? Like people who have stick shifts, they go, well, this is my preference, but I'm not going to look at an automatic and be like, this guy, he can't even shift gears. But if it was a race a car, loser. if it was a race car, you would, you'd look down on automatic transmission. I think that you got to put it. Yeah, but we're different... not racing. I'm going to the store. Well, but there's, I a... just, I'm, I'm bothered by it. Listen, not... I passed by a motorcyclist on the way over here. We got to stop this scooter hate. And he had like a little like a little helmet on, yeah. and he was wearing like a bandana that had like a skull demon face printed on it. Are you and, sure it wasn't and, a face tattoo? And I don't think that was because of the quarantine. I think that was just his yeah, that was mask. His, that's his garb. And I started thinking, in what what world? Like I actually, I was so funny how my brain works. I thought, what if the Apostle Paul could come forward mm -hmm. and you know some pastor out there wrote motorcycles, but he happened to have the bandana with the big skull face, demon looking skull face on it. Would like Paul, would, be like, this is revelation, right? Would he be like, what? <laughs> this is what I've. This has this been is foretold. What my buddy John was telling me about from the <laughs> island. He got that letter from Patmos. That's right. The horses were motorcycles. Yeah, but I just wonder, like, it's so funny how would you 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 go so many levels into culture? That I think Paul would ride a motorcycle. You think he'd have a big skull face on? The only thing here, Paul would have a motorcycle and he would have a big truck because he'd be doing what? Hauling tents around. 
know what I'm saying? Like he would have a big flatbed truck. Do you think it would be like lettered and stuff? Yeah. What would the name of his company be? <sighs> Let's see. Oh my goodness. Um, no tabernacle. It would be a yeah. I'm trying to think. Of. It would be a tent, a tent pun of some kind. Shekinah Tabernacle Glory Fourth Intent. Be a, if he lived in the SEC territory. Anyway, there's not even a biblical. What do you mean fourth intent? Well, like fourth and ten, but fourth I know I can't even say this. I'm looking for something. I'm not saying it'd be a good pun. Anyway, yeah, fourth intent. He, uh, but yeah, he would have he would have like a, a big flatbed full of tent making materials, and then he would have a motorcycle that he would drive back and forth to Ephesus to preach. Well, and he wasn't married. So yeah. yeah, so he, yeah, he, the open he, road. Yeah, he, he would he definitely be. He's, he was a wild man. Oh yeah, Paul was a radical dude, and so he would be. He would be a motorcycle. He right. Would, he would love. He would. He'd be like, because he was riding a horse. You know what I'm saying? So he would be like, "This is right where I left off." Do you know that he was riding a horse? He was knocked off his horse I'm on the way to sure that, the road to Damascus. I think that that's something that we've added to the story. Is it? I'm not sure. You think he might have been walking? I think it doesn't specify. Just that he. Fell, I thought he was knocked off a horse. Just that he fell down to the ground. Okay. You know what? There's only one way to find out, Johnny. Let's test. Why John- do I always think that there was a horse? Because we we say that in the story, like that's one of those. Well, things. he wasn't walking to Damascus. Well, uh, why not? Because they, they were probably walking. Of, they were walking to Emmaus. Wasn't hundreds of miles though? Do, Johnny, do you? You're just making up geographical. First of all, it's a road. The road to Damascus it wasn't a path. It wasn't a trail. Well, what do you think roads were back then? But I'm just saying, like, it makes me think this was a horse. This is horse territory. <laughs> So, this was donkey or horse. Well, I was going to say, why not a mule or a donkey? It just takes too long. <laughs> this guy needed to get there. He right, was let, going to imprison Christians. Let's see here. I'm looking for Damascus on BibleGateway.com. You might be right, though, because it doesn't say anything about the horse, like what happened to the horse. Was the horse blinded, too? We don't know. <laughs> well, we do know that no one else saw anything. I think actually one – so when he retells the story later yeah. it, to in his testimony – I think he says, like one account says that no one else saw anything. Right. In another account, he says that they all heard the voice too. Hmm. Uh, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters, blah, 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 blah. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We where have no I, record of animals. Where did I get a horse for that? Maybe because when he was telling the story later? We, we It's kind of like an expression, like you got knocked off your horse. So we kind of, I off think. Off your high it, horse. Yeah, like an English. That's a different thing, though. I think that's a different story. Yeah, but no, but when preachers say it, they always say, and you know, Paul got knocked off his horse and we need oh, to okay. get, like, it's a real, I don't know, I think it's just kind of crept into the English There's never been a horse it. that whole time. Of course. Never. But there could have been. There's, there could have been a horse. Yeah, there could have been. It's not like it's it's not bad or it's not lying. heresy. It's, right. it's horacy. Hor- <laughs> horsey. <laughs> horse, horsery. Horsery. Horsery is like when a horse does magic right. tricks. Right. That's what he. Uh, he's like for this next one, and then he's. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a magic trick that a horse would. Yeah. What kind of? Yeah. Let me tell you something. When you don't have fingers, it's, it's tough. difficult to get those tough to cards. Do slide so. of hoof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so Paul would have been a motorcycle guy and maybe even a scooter guy for the efficiency. By the way, my daughter, by the way, and I may tell this wrong, just when you said hoof. My daughter, Laura, okay, it's a long story. She was trying to clean out the pool filter basket, okay? Yeah. 
and she was needing to reach down in there to get something. And so she told, she told Sadie to go get a slotted spoon. Right. So Sadie goes and gets, there's a spoon we have that instead of it being like holes in it, it's like the, the slot is in the middle. The oh, top. it's the one like the, for the spaghetti maybe. Maybe. And Sadie basically came back and said, uh, the Israelites couldn't use this spoon. <laughs> Because it's a it's a split hoof. Like <laughs> she just like pulled out. I was like, wow, where did that come from? Like as a twelve year old, I'm not sure I would have equated. She was like, she was no, going to like Levitical a, law. It's a split hoof spoon, which means yeah, they couldn't eat animals of the split hoof. And so yeah, uh, she had like some. I was I was super impressed and like that she made that anyway. Wow. So sorry, you were saying. Man, Sadie got into a whole other layer of legalism. She was. <laughs> she learned that from you. Well, I think she thought it would be funny. And I'm I don't think just she was kidding. Trying, no, yes. A slotted spoon. A split hoof spoon. What was in the filter, John? Just a bunch of hair? What are you? All kinds of. Oh, it's leaves. Remember all those bushes? Oh, yeah. right. You got bushes. I got the bushes. And your beautiful and palatial it, estate and your pool. And occasionally, I think that actually there was a dead mole in there, too. There was a dead mole in your filter? That, gets, that happens. Birds and moles and, and, yeah, little little things get in there sometimes. John, how is a mole getting sucked up into your pool? I don't know. I guess he went for a swim. I don't know. I don't know what he did, how he got there. Johnny, I, don't, I didn't do it. It's not like I'm, <laughs> I didn't put a sign up, welcome, moles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hawkins used to have a, a bit that he was working on. I don't know if he ever made it, it, made it to stage. He did it once or twice about how, like, free-range chicken... It's suspicious because he's like, he goes, it's not, you know, cage-free chicken. Mm-hmm. He's like, eventually you have to put it in a cage though, right? Like you're not just walking it in on a leash, <laughs> like tricking it into the restaurant, like open mic night. Like you're not, <laughs> like what is the process to get the chicken to the table? That's great. Eventually it's got to be in some kind of container we and you s- might call that a cage. <laughs> Never in a cage. Oh, I feel so much better about this dead bird i'm now eating right it's like a lot of weird like semantics and hair splitting that we do with yeah i mean i don't want animals to be like cruelly like inhumanely i understand i mean i eat meat but i I don't want it to be if i found out a lot of stuff i'd probably be one of those people i could watch a couple of videos and be like i can't do this anymore what was the documentary i just abstain from those videos what's the big documentary was it was it forks over knives and then there was food ink and i think food ink's the one i saw when they when i saw one of the chicken plants yeah it was like a big warehouse with no windows. Yeah. And they were just like. Right. And the chickens are so big, they're falling over, yeah, right? Yeah, they couldn't walk. Yeah. Some of them had been. So hormonally Yeah, they had been altered. altered to the point that their legs could not sustain the weight of their bodies. It's like. And uh, they're just laying in a dark room on concrete. I see that sometimes at Planet Fitness. You see a guy that never does leg day. And you're just like, this guy, he's tipping over. He's a weeble and he wobbles. I hope that guy's he's, listening. He's right on now. some substances. <laughs> No, it was, uh, yeah, I, it, it was disturbing. They just like took a big, yeah. And they were like piled three deep and, and they were just like in a warehouse and they just took a big, like, yeah, like a big uh, bulldozer. And just, see, like you telling me that's like, oh, it's sad, but I didn't see it. So I can still go eat chicken now. Right. But I think if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, what are we doing? Did you chickens? see the History Channel, by the way? The History Channel. It's about. The History of Chickens. It's about food. It's the history of the United States through um, cuisine. Yeah, through food. And so 
This sounds the, like even more boring than the national. No, parks. no, I'm telling you, it's like they did. They did a whole episode on <laughs> Colonel Sanders and the McDonald's <laughs> brothers and Ray Kroc. They did episode a, seven, corn. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> dude, when you understand the Hershey right. versus Mars, like these so guys. I could get into that because I'm a chocolate guy. These guys were tycoons. Like they were just as rich. Right. They became. In, Kellogg's. Yes. Another guy that was kind of a, he and was out there. It was Kellogg versus Post. And like they're, they're, all these legal battles, the stealing of recipes. Because you got to think, we just think, oh, uh, you know, um, cornflakes. Right. There was espionage going on. Like, cornflakes was, was a big deal when it came out because there was no such thing as cereal. Yeah. And it revolutionized the whole country because now... You had to get up and make eggs every yeah, day. Yeah, you had a box of something you could just pour milk over and kids loved it and it cost almost nothing to make. It was just a way they found these puffs, basically, yeah. to make out of corn. So it, And then you add the Industrial Revolution to it because Ford's just beginning to use the assembly line to make cars. They began to use the assembly line to make food and how it revolution. I mean, I'm telling you... It, All right, I'll check it, it out. It's like as big of a game changer to American history as anything because it's... It's now what Americans expected. Yeah. And when you realize the whole, like, these guys were, I mean, in their time, they're like Rockefellers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're making money hand over fist, uh, hoof over... Hoof <laughs> over slot. <laughs> Forks over knives. Yeah. And so it, it was, uh, it was, it was, it's fascinating. You should go watch it. But they did a whole thing on Colonel Sanders, so... Yeah. Which he's, like, he's, yeah, he's a character. <clears throat> that guy. Yeah, there was like a gunfight uh -huh. between the two, the two. We talked about it on yeah. the show one time. Yeah. That, uh, I can't remember the story, but whether he shot at somebody or was shot at, it was a mess, though. Yeah. The guy died. Yeah. But the deal is, Colonel Sanders, so he lost everything, even after he had a really successful Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant and called that a thing. And, of course, one, he created himself the pressure fryer. Okay. Like he experimented, burned himself, and, and it's got this actor doing all this. He had no fingerprints. He went from, right, he went from pressure cooker to making a pressure fryer. He adapted it himself. Yeah, like, that'd be a weird thing to invent because it's like if you get it wrong, it's a bomb. Absolutely. And then it doesn't just explode. It explodes with hot oil everywhere. Yeah. But he created it and figured out how to make perfect fried chicken in So there was, some, there was some damaged skin into that white Absolutely. suit. Absolutely. There yeah. were some serious burns. Oh my gosh. And once he had it, he basically goes like door to door trying to get restaurants. That was the deal. He was like, hey, I will, once his restaurant shut down, you know why it shut down? No. Uh, interstate highway system. Okay. Because just like Route 66. Oh, it, it was right. He it routed took, around yeah, it. Yeah. It took every, all the business away. So oh, man. He shut down his restaurant. So that's an amazing part of history. People don't understand. So he had to persevere through that. So what he did is he started going. He just traveled. And I think he went to a thousand different restaurants before someone actually said yes. Man. And he would go in and would demonstrate in their kitchen. I'm going to show you how to make perfect fried chicken with a secret recipe that I would let you use. I just won't let you know what it is. Yeah. Oh, like, I don't know how, I guess, I guess he gave him, he made it and gave it to him, yeah. <clears throat> or he may have shared it. And eleven herbs and prepared, spices. Yeah. Was it seven or eleven? Eleven. Yeah. That's how 7-Eleven started. Anyway. And so, <laughs> it's, <not> <laughs> it's crazy. And, and so he would demonstrate, and it's like, yeah. I can make perfect fried chicken every time in seven minutes with this, with this device. Mm -hmm. And all I ask is, is I get four cents per chicken per piece hmm. that you sell. That's it. You sell them, you charge whatever you want. But how much was a piece of chicken back then? Who knows? If it was 10 cents. Right. That's still a good chunk. You know, if it was 20 cents or whatever. But yeah. so that's not a lot, but he got hundreds and hundreds and right. hundreds of restaurants to do it. And he was making 300 grand a year. 
after that, which back then was like right, 1.5 million. Yeah. Like he was making a ton of money. And then somebody came to him and finally said, Hey, I mean, so he'd already gone through the whole thing. He got the Colonel, the Kentucky Colonel thing from his first restaurant. And he just basically used it. It was all like making himself the caricature. Yeah. You know, making himself. Well, he's the, the brand. Yeah. So he started wearing the white suit and Colonel Sanders, which originally was just gauze to cover the burns. <laughs> right. That's Guys, how he, it's he was like, like a, a big it's mummy. A natural transition. <laughs> right. And so he literally became this guy, then lost it all, then went door to door. Yeah. Sold chicken. And then somebody came to him because it was so popular and said, we want to open this up. And they paid him out like 1.5 actual million, which back then was like 10 million. Yeah. And then they said, but we have a job we want you to stay on for. And that was the deal. He just basically did appearances and uh-huh. became he became the icon, and they paid him to do that. So uh-huh. he would do appearances, make speeches, and they they opened up all the restaurants. So in the end, he did not open up his own restaurants where his face is on it. Like he had one restaurant, sold chicken door to door, and they came to him, and and some other company did it. it was I just crazy. don't. That's the thing is like I think I believe in my dream. You know, when I started doing comedy. I was like, I, yeah, I believe I could do this. But then I see people like with stories like that. And I'm like, I did not believe like that. Oh, my like, god! Door to door. And like when I watch that Tiger King documentary and the woman gets her arm, yes. her hand bit off by the tiger and she goes back to work after seven days. Yeah. I'm like, look, if I was doing comedy and somebody bit off my hand. I'm done. I'm never doing comedy again. <laughs> I'm just going to have that story of like, it'd hey. Be, it'd be a weird, yeah. a weird outcome from a comedy career, but. It would. That's a. That's I mean, you an, have bombed those. That's an intense, <laughs> an intense heckler. <laughs> Some guy rips off your arm. Yeah. Have you watched uh, Hamilton yet? Speaking of, of Curry watched and- it the other day, and it was on in the background. I was trying to get some work done, and I was just hearing uh, loud rapping. My gosh! And she was so into it. So she said, "I want to. We're going to watch it again. I want you to watch it." I said, like, "Okay." So we're going to watch it. I think this weekend. Let me tell you something. We watched it last night. Yeah. When we got done, I just sat there. Like I, I was, I just sat there. I was yeah. like, I don't even know what to say. Like it was so good and so like, well, and of course Alexander Hamilton was some, Hamilton was someone I really studied. I remember in AP history a lot. Yeah. I haven't read Chernow's book. I'm reading Chernow's other book, the Grant book still, but. I think Curry's reading the Hamilton book now. Yeah. That's the one I'm going to yeah. probably do next. If I, I, I don't know, I'm in the middle of a, of several writing things, but, um, that's kind of. You guilty pleasures you I talked about last week are history books for me, so I know it's very nerdy to say, but um, I don't know why you're guilty. About no, that, but, <clears throat> but anyway, the writing on the level of what they did, especially bringing out the federalist, anti-federalist, the state, states' rights versus federal power, mm-hmm. the already ensuing gulf between the North and the South, because all of that was connected. The mm-hmm. reason South wanted states' rights so much is they had free labor. Right. They, they didn't want to be regulated, you know, and, and how the northern states were accruing debt. And so Hamilton begins this very progressive – I mean, he basically invents a national banking system that, you know, was going to give a lot of power to the government. He's secretary of treasury, and Thomas Jefferson is his foil. Is he's, he's, and that's true in history. Like, he's his opponent mm-hmm. as the secretary of state. And he is the one who wants no centralization of power. Again, the first Virginia Constitution he wrote had no governor, you know, and they had no president because you know, he so, and he had not fought in the war. That's a really funny part of the of the play. 
is that Jefferson was in France during the whole time. He was Mm -hmm. ambassador. He was basically trying to get the the reason we won the war is the French, you know, came to our aid. We could not. We couldn't. And Britain ended up fighting a war on multiple fronts with other countries because they're trying to maintain their empire. So. You know, and we're just so far away. We're just so far away. It's hard for them to to maintain. You right. know, at that level, we just kind of had to hold out. We we held the the high ground, and so. But the French, they with their supplies and their soldiers and their ships, especially, you know, were the reason that we were able to finally push it over the top and and kind of, you know, I guess run Britain out of resources and and no one had a stomach for the war anymore. So on the on the British side, so you know. Jefferson's over there doing all of that. So when he comes home, this is hilarious, you know, like, you know, so what's been going on around here? Like they just fought the uh, revolution, you know, it's a real, yeah. uh, you know, and, and they have basically in the cabinet meetings and why I love Washington's character, just an amazing, amazing character. The actor does such a great job, but basically twice in the play, it's this, um, basically Jefferson versus Hamilton, what do you call that, Johnny? I'm sorry. Am I, am I, like a rap battle? Yes. It was like a rap battle. But the things happening, like I'm so scared to say something that sounds dumb. It <laughs> makes me sound like a, <laughs> a white boomer. You're appropriating hip-hop culture. <laughs> I'm just, sorry, guys. You know, but man, like the stuff, even though it's, you know, it's they're dogging each other and, and it's got, you know, profanity and other things in it. Like the depth of what the issues really were historically yeah. that 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 the writer manages to bring out in one or two lines is just like unbelievable. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was blown away and it was very emotional too, because there's a, a theme they run throughout the whole thing of Hamilton writes like he's running out of time. He's always mm-hmm. writing like he's running out of time. He's always writing like, so he wanted to be a commander. He wanted to command troops because that would help him in his station in life when the war was over, but Washington would never let him until the very, very end because Washington needed him to be his secretary, which Mm -hmm. was his writer. He's the one who, he's the brilliant guy who can keep it all going while Washington has to command troops. That's why you relate to him, isn't it? Because he's the, he's the the co-writer. He's the ghost. He, he wasn't, he, he didn't get all the credit, but he was the smart guy in the background. Who does that remind you of? (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is, this is coming clearer now. No, I did not. I'm not thinking of that go, when I was saying He was that. the John Driver of his day. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> no. But, but like, Laura got, Laura, because you could tell that the writer was writing his story yeah. a little bit too. <clears throat> like, and another big thing is I'm not going to miss my shot. That's And they find a way, by the way, because a lot of the beats are similar, that there was one point at the end of the first. They interweave all the songs. The one of the, at the end of the first act, they literally call back. I think every song from the first act into one big, yeah, like you know, I guess mashup. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable, like a live mashup where all the things came in from all the characters. I mean, I was just like, my, my mouth was dropped. Like, oh my gosh, how did he do that? And so, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lose my shot. Is you know, no matter what, if it hurts his family, no matter what, he feels this drive, mm-hmm. you know, to and he's not ever satisfied. And so I just Laura was talking like, I don't know when I watched something like that, and I thought, okay, a guy read because it's based off of Cherno's book, you know, yeah, it's, or inspired by. So he sits down and reads this history book. Mm-hmm. It's not rap, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a right. history book. And what makes a creative person think? Oh, you know what I'll do? Right, I'll spend I, ten years. I'm going to write this like making this into a yeah a Broadway production where all of the 
historical white guys are now going to be played by black actors and I'm going to make it a total rap. Like we're going to we're going to let Jefferson and Hamilton have a rap battle. And I'm also good though. I'm going to actually bring in all of the parts that were happening yeah. historically and personally. Like who makes who does that? You know, like who yeah. that's like you say who who goes door to door with their, you know, pressure fryer. So I mean, I think you do that, Johnny. You you got that kind of creativity. I don't know. I'm yeah, I mean, I I like the for the process. I think I like Having done something more than I like the blank page, though. Yeah. The blank page is intimidating to me still. But I like, once I'm in it, and I'm like, oh, this could be something. Then I get excited. Yeah. So I need like a kernel of something. Like and a Colonel I, Sanders. Like, oh, okay. There we go. Different kernel. Uh, chapter seven, corn. <laughs> no, I need something to get me going. And then I'm like, oh, this will be something. Like if you're in the shower and you start thinking about an idea, you're like, oh, this is – sometimes I know right away this is going to be in the show. Yeah. This will be a big laugh, and I already know it. Even if it's not done, I know it's going to be big. And that's a cool feeling. And then you can go – I can go weeks, months sometimes between those things happening though. That's why it always still feels like magic to me, you know, because you're like pulling something out of the air. And you think nobody's ever put words together in quite this order. Yeah. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're like, oh, well, somebody's had a similar idea. But every now and again, you'll be like, it's some personal life experience. You're like, no one's ever had this take on this, I bet. And then you run with it. And then if it works, you're just, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. It's hard to explain to people who aren't creative. Um, but um, I'm grateful for people who aren't creative because who else would come to the shows? If they're like, no, I made my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And I, I did tell Laura, I said, well, for every one of those, there's literally a million creatives who didn't have enough. I mean, this guy, this is another level of brilliance. Like, yeah. it's a, and he won a Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this is another level of brilliance. Now, whether or not there's that mix between talent and work ethic, but like right. the, the hard part is you find a super talented person, if they can meld that with that almost obsessive work ethic without driving themselves yeah. literally insane or and destroying every relationship, destroying every, yeah, yeah. To the point that there's nothing left to salvage in the end. Yeah. Um, lots of creators, I think who are super successful, they become almost tycoons in that respect, like at all costs. Yeah. You know, and that, they sacrificed everything to their gift. And that it's can, weird. that can though affect their product too, though. Yeah. Because now, if you don't value people, then there's only, I think, so far, unless you're making, a, again, corn puffs or something. Right. There's only so far, if you're making intellectual property. Yeah. And you don't value people, eventually that's going to creep in to what it is you're creating. It does. And it happens with comedy, too. Like, people who get successful. It happens with hip-hop. It happens with music. Like, sophomore slump. A yeah. lot of times a sophomore slump of a comedy project or a second record is because you had your whole life to develop the first record. And then the second thing that you're doing, you've had like a year and a half. Right. And there's pressure from a label or in my case, you have a fan base. that's like, when's the next thing we've watched all your stuff. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, and then you try to remember more or you hopefully have some other things to pull from, but it's a tougher 
And so, yeah, you have to get way more laser focused on it. And, and, but what I was saying to your point about how, like, as your life changes, you know, think about, um, this is kind of an old thing in with, uh, like rock music or hip hop, like your first records about how you're starving and you, you're from the streets and you whatever. And there's this edge to what you're doing yeah. because there's a desperation there. And then your second record, you may be a millionaire. You may have a mansion and a housekeeper and a pool and a guest house. And like that desperation has gone away that fueled your creativity. So if you were only writing to get rich, for instance, like if I was only writing jokes to get rich or to get money, if I could just do this for a living and then you get money, well, then you get the money and then your motivation to write goes away. Right. You know, so luckily I'm. I, the, you know, the fact that I've been able to make a living is great, but I've, it's always been about the laugh. It's always been about, you know, that I call it tiny hugs from strangers. You know, <laughs> there's like a, there's like something that no other relationship in my life can give me that the laugh gives me. And so I'm always chasing that and that's can be unhealthy, but there's, it, I think it's been put there. Yeah. That thing's been put there so that I'll make something that may, you know, lift somebody up or whatever, whatever you think comedy does. I mean, I'm not trying to make it all altruistic or whatever more than it is, but there's an exchange there that I'm willing to live with. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to sacrifice this. Uh, I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my wife or whatever, but I'm saying I will travel 200 days a year and we've made that, we've made peace with that part of it. So that is a sacrifice. But I, I think I would know if it got to be like, all right, this is killing me or whatever. And I would make that choice. But yeah, like you said, some people, it's like they they sacrifice everything to the gift because it's, it's soul focus. Yeah. Hamilton's wife keeps asking him, like, what, what would be what, – what if you were just home? What if I was enough, basically? What, yeah. if, what if your family was enough? What if we – you know, and for and then that – juxtaposition against Washington that that was the case. That's why you know, one of the things about him leaving is, is I, I want to live. I want to live a while yeah. in this country we just fought to create. Like, I want to be a guy. Mm-hmm. I want to be a citizen, not just the, you know, he didn't have that same desire to always have to push forward. And is there a moment that you could say goodbye to that desire? You know, um, I think that's an easy question for people who have not, who have had success. You know, there, there's a, um, we talked about that before, but, you know, as a writer, it it's a lot easier to feel the stresses of a writing career because I have one. Yeah. As opposed to the stress of wondering if I could ever be good enough to have one. That's a hard it's a hard place to be, mm-hmm. you know, when people want to, they feel that deep desire to do it. I don't think I was good enough. Like, I don't, that's not what I mean, but that's what the question comes mm-hmm. to your, to because your, you're worrying if you're wondering if you're wasting your time Yeah, and that's a drain on you when you're like, well, is this just, cause you see people out there. I mean, you see it, I see it at every open mic. Yeah. You see somebody who comes every week and they're hopelessly unfunny, Yeah, but they really love comedy. And they think this is what their life should be about. Yeah. It's not a hobby. And it is because they're not making money at it. But I'm saying to them, they're just like, I'm paying my dues. And right. they're like, you're not getting better because you don't have the tools to do this. So, yeah, living in that world where you're like, am I one of these guys? 
Yeah. Am I one of these, you know, uh, people? And so that's kind of what, when you, like you say, when you get somebody that believes in you or you get a chance or you have some kind of a breakthrough, you're like, okay, now I've traded up for a whole other set of anxiety. <laughs> it's a <laughs> yeah. different, it's a different. <clears throat> no, it, it, it is. And we talk about that at church. Sometimes I'll talk to the staff, especially when we were having a more normal, mm-hmm. you know, physical gathering. You begin to you begin to reach these things with people yet we have a lot of like physical things to do to pull off the event. There's a weekly event. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that, that can really consume, it consumes a lot of churches. Like their whole life is really based upon their weekly event. Um, all the energy, all mm-hmm. the communication. And then like, yes, what we're going to communicate at the weekly event is really, really important, <clears throat> but it's a, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> but it's like, a. I mean, I'm, I'm down to two packs a day. You so a I'm lozenge. <laughs> and so, um, sometimes I'll look at the staff and go, you know, we don't work in a factory. Like we got to remember that what we do is different. Like there, are, it's, 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 and, and when you, you know, we don't, we don't, we can't just plug and play. The job is not ever done. Yeah. Like I was talking to someone the other day about community and um, leadership and community. And I said, look, you know, the deal is as a writer, I've worked so hard. And then if there's a moment in time where a box shows up on my front porch from a publisher with my author copies, writer copies, and inside I pull out a book and a shrink wrap and it's done. Yeah. And now it's someone else's job, you know, if it's collaboration, especially to go sell it or whatever they're going to do. And, you know, I don't have to, I'm not as invested now uh, in it and I can move on to the next thing. I was like, when you're, when you're leading community, a community group, or if you're, you're trying to really make disciples in actual relationships, which are awkward and you're trying to learn how to, and then teach people how to lean into conflict and not away from it. You're trying to manage, um, a lot of our groups, man, the group leaders are my heroes because they're managing someone who, who came from atheism in the same room as someone who came from Catholicism in the same room as someone who came from from Pentecostalism mm-hmm. and how they each approach now faith is, is so, um, colored by all of those experiences. Yeah. And so some people don't know that if they come out like you and I come out of a more of a Pentecostal background, then when it, there's things about the way I, I see them more clearly now where they've taken years and years that, oh, I evaluate a church experience. Mm-hmm. I evaluate a church service by a certain set of things that I didn't even choose. That's just the way we always evaluated. While someone from a liturgical background evaluates that differently. Yeah. And now you're trying to live together. And and that's why I really believe anybody could be in community if they all choose to say, I want to sell out to God's ways. We used to really try to pair people together based off of personality Mm -hmm. and life situation. You know, and I think there's still some of that to be said. There's just some people that are never going to just, you know, jive and connect. But the community is way easier when you believe like actually – the diversity of our experiences, if we're willing, that's the problem. The question is if we're willing to like stick this out yeah, and not ever stop pushing back to the, to the central place. So 
yes, you offended me last week and you offended me the week before and you offended me the week before and I keep bringing it up to you and you keep saying you're sorry. This is something you're working through and this is something I'm working through to figure it out. And then the eighth time, you know, six months into a relationship, am I going to do it again? Am I going to once again, instead of just letting it fester within me, am I going to once again say, hey, man, I know we keep coming back to this, but this happened and maybe it's me, you know, but I'm not going to just let it go. You know, I'm going to keep addressing it until we both grow into a place where either that doesn't offend me or you understand that it's offensive because we're not just going to pretend like it's not happening. This feels like you're talking to me. Johnny, I think you know why I've called you here. <laughs> this is the weirdest intervention ever. But, you know, like, that's the thing people don't want. They go, well, th- my God, this doesn't, this just doesn't work. And you're like, well, it works. It just may take two years. Yeah. And people don't have that kind of thing. But God's ways work. Like, I have friends that God's ways are the reason that we're great friends today. Not that we were compatible personality-wise. Yeah. You know? had the same exact amount of children, the same ages, and right. that you, you both enjoy uh, UT sports. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. all very surface level. That's just like you putting a small group together. Like, that's not a small group, John. That's small talk. Mm. Mm. That's Come preach. on now. But it is. You put those groups together around the things that you go, well, at least they'll have five things to start a conversation with. Yeah. And hopefully they'll get into deep things. Right. But you don't know that that can happen. That doesn't always happen. Well, that doesn't usually. <clears throat> it doesn't usually happen unless you put people together that were yeah. already slanted towards something intellectual or something theological. But then you're doing the same thing. You know, you're not making, you're, you're, you're still just, yeah. you're, you're just trying to create like these. Like e-harmony. Right. It's exactly what small. G, G harmony. What? Am I right, guys? He harmony. Wait, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how it. <laughs> Fourth intent. <laughs> Horsery. Um, oh, I got it. could be. Uh, Intentional ministry. And it could have the tent would be. <laughs> yes. Would be. Uh, you got it, Johnny. I always loved that. That was a kind of a big buzzword in the early 2000s. Remember that? We're like, yeah. we're trying to be so intentional with everything we do here at this church. Just, we're just trying to be intentional in our words and in our deeds and in our events. And uh, I used to say that. And now at my shows, at the end of my shows, I always say that. Like when that was, it was a big thing when I was growing up. And I just want you to know that if I've said anything that's offended you tonight, it was intentional. <laughs> and so. <laughs> That's great. No, I do think one, one term I've used is that a lot of, a lot of churches try to put people together in relationships and yeah. they're just Christian supper clubs. Okay. Like yeah. you've got to decide is, is this going to be a Christian supper club? And that's fine. Have supper, have fun, watch movies, go on trips. I think that's all great, but it's like, who's going to, like we do, we roll our eyes if someone says, Hey guys, you know, let's talk, let's talk for 10 minutes about this verse. Like we've gone so far the other way now. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, you're, you're almost like, well, did they, if you come into a church experience and they just kind of, they just kind of telegraph the, the gospel. It's like, mm, you know, I kind of, I wish they would have eased into yeah. it. Like, it's I wanna, like, yeah, you want to be like uh surprised. Yeah. I don't know. They, uh, they turn. The turn was too quick. It's yes. too weird. The turn. That's the word. It's like, what are you? <laughs> you're here to learn about God, right? Right. It's like we're so, we're we're, we're kind of like expect churches to to find a way to package this yeah. in a more powerful. We want it to be way. an M not Shyamalan <laughs> service. <laughs> I didn't even know that was going to happen. <laughs> we're just going along, and all of a sudden, bam! Jesus, man, that was good. Oh, man, yeah. that was a good twist yeah, at the you, end. You evaluate. I had no idea I was going to bring up Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, and yet, not, but I do understand the whole, though, 
the, the flip side of that is yeah. like using Jesus, using the gospel and the terms of the gospel as rhetoric mm-hmm. that you're completely, it's either over emotionally connected to it. Like, you know, if you're over emotional about something, then you're kind of under emotional about it to some extent. If all you ever do is scream about it, there's no way you can right. always feel like screaming. Yeah. Like now that's just your pattern. You just yell about conservatives or liberals or whatever. You just yell about them all the time. Like you don't, you don't lose sleep over it anymore. Right. <laughs> it's just now your pattern. And I think when, when people come in and they're like, it's just, it's just the language we use either mm-hmm. low or high in, in our tone and in our expression. I don't want that either. Like I do want a, un- what I want, uh, is not just from a, a pastor, but from all the people. I want to sense that that message is something that's really being believed, and that it worked in someone's life this week. And the only way that's the only way it can work, the only way you can experience, um, I guess, healing mm-hmm. is if you know you are broken <clears throat> and you know you were sick. So I want a place where people are acknowledging brokenness and sickness yet with the hope of how God brought mm-hmm. another day, another another incremental part of his life and healing to that, of, of through the way they realized it, to the way they lived it out with others. And I, and I want a preacher who's talking about that. You know, I don't, and that will lead to the gospel and why. So I don't want to, I'm not sure exactly how we navigated to that, but I, I you, do. You've tricked me. You, we were talking about normal and I made things, the turn. and then you made the turn. There was a tweet that I saw <laughs> yesterday, and it was about it was from a, a pastor that I follow, and he was saying, "What, what was it? What uh, Christianese phrase would you get rid of first? Mm. And I, it made me think, like, I wonder which one, because again, these are all terms that kind of get worn out when they, and they, it's not like you, they were well meaning, but then they just become so ingrained." The one that I remembered over the last 10 years that I don't see as much anymore is uh, doing life together. Yeah. You don't see it as much anymore. It just kind of became a thing where people are like, look, we're just out here doing life together. And I always think that'd be interesting if like you had a prison ministry, like you would probably not want to go in and say that. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of you guys are doing life together. Guys, we're just going to listen. We just want to do life together with you and uh, we're going to leave. Um, at the end of this, but you're going to continue doing life together. Right. <laughs> it's just awful. Yeah, you wouldn't want to say it there. I think for me, it'd probably be uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Oh, right. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. That's been probably 30 years. Oh, but it comes up a years. lot still. Yeah. 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 Hate the sin, love the sinner. But again, like you always say, it's never your own sin that you hate for the yeah. most part. Oh, that's a good question. What would be some other... I cannot remember what, because Sean Groves, a uh, former CCM uh, artist, and now he's like a big compassion advocate uh, and speaks on behalf of kids. And he has had some, he tweeted something, a response to it. And I can't remember what he said, but it was a good one too. And, uh, but yeah, uh, doing life together. You know, uh, one for me would be connection. Yeah. Like, again, I'm sure there's somewhere in the Greek that, you know, but connection, I used to use that all the time in community. What is the Greek for connection? Connectos. Connectos. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm saying, I'm, I'm not saying it's an unbiblical term. Yeah. But it's, it's also, ha- it has a lot of. Um, oh, his was get plugged in. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Same, same kind of thing. Same concept. Yeah. Like he was I, like, I'm not a <laughs> lamp. Stop it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the the idea is that, again, it goes back to that whole, which Laura and I laugh, like, I don't deal well even with shallow conversation. Yeah. Um, like, 
listener, just so you know, I did not make a turn there. That's really what I was thinking about. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm actually, um, and I, you know, I even call it shallow conversation. What some people just call regular conversation, small talk. I've had to learn that I'm a little intense sometimes. Uh, I know you're shocked. Intense. That's the other name of his company. Um, cause he was intense, man. <laughs> <laughs> So ridiculous. Um, he rides, rides up on his motorcycle he does. with his skull face mask. Anyway, I said, that guy is intense. And he's like, you if have only, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> hey. And it turns out, yeah, he's, he's used. Anyway. So, um, like, I had to learn that there is a place in life for just hanging out and normal conversation, you know. Like, I could do it at a football game or something like that. But yeah. if here's why. Here, here's where it bugs me. If there's something I know deeper going on in our lives, right, you got to pretend it's not right, happening. that we're not talking yeah, about, and there right. almost always is, yeah. And so, like, I just don't do that well. Yeah, I just don't. To me, it to me it feels disingenuous. To me, it feels like we're faking, you know. And if I have to fake something, and maybe that comes from ministry, if I have to fake something by not talking about something that's going to make you uncomfortable, it would be so helpful for both of us. <laughs> I just, I, I can't, I don't, can't do it very long, but I've had, to, I've had to learn it like, um, but though relationships though can't start that way. Like you may need to, but that's why I think again, God's ways that the topics of the gospel lead you to have fun and to eat meals and to enjoy each other's company and to hang out with normal people. That's all scriptural. Just, you don't need to be in, you know, but at the same time, not be surprised that we expect there to be depth to these conversations, yeah. you know, like you've always like we, we laugh about that. You told me you loved me the first time we met. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That may sound weird to people. The first time I met you, you, you told a joke and I, I, it totally sucked me right in. It was the whole, uh, go ahead. This is like, a, I can't remember, but this really? is like a bromance story. This is yeah. like music's replaying right now. Yeah. Soft music. I had played a song on stage. that was horrible that morning. Didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember being horrible. Oh, it was horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> this is back when I thought I could be a singer. You were singer. on acoustic, too, so you were still learning. Yeah, I only knew like four chords and used them all to write a song, a horrible song with a low melody. And all I didn't, you need and I four didn't, chords, John. And I didn't know I was a bad singer. Like, I didn't know that. It took me a couple of years to figure it out. And so what my role in singing could be, you know, should not have been that. I'm not like a <laughs> studio lead vocalist. And so you come up, you say, we was like, dude, yeah. And, and, and uh, our, our friend introduced us. Yeah, and you were like, oh, man, "That's great, man! I love your song today, man. It was great. It's great." I was called, like, oh, "Thanks, man!" You know, <laughs> and, and then you said, "You know, I have a dream too. I know you. Want, you know, I could tell you want to be a writer and a songwriter. And I have a dream too. You know, I want to. Oh, someday right. I want to open up a, my own uh, shop that sells dairy products from the Holy Land. I was like, "Wow, really? That's and yeah. I'm thinking in my mind thinking that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard." You know? <laughs> and you said, "Yeah, it's called Jesus of Nazareth." Yeah, yeah. And then we, la- I laughed heartily, like you know what I'm saying. I was like, uh-huh. "Oh man," we talked for probably 20 minutes and right. hung out. And you're like, "Dude, man, it was we at church." Yeah, you know, it was a spiritual kind of experience. Yeah, and, yeah. And we just, you know, and you go. Man, you know, I love you, man. I just tell we're gonna be good friends. You know, I was not weird. I was like, it's not weird. My whole family. I mean, again, our both our families. Yeah, everything I'm such was a mama's like, boy. Yeah, yeah. My, my mom would have told you she loved you the first time she met you. So yeah. the stuff's not weird. You know, she's still with me. And so that makes sense to me. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Right? They're like, whoa, man. You know, slow down. Like, I don't like I, I, if if I can tell I connect with someone. You know, then 
I, I would just assume, let's go ahead and be friends. We've been doing life together ever since, John. That's right. Connecting, plugging mm-hmm. into each other's <laughs> lives. <laughs> I, I love Johnny, but I hate the sin in his life. Yeah. So well, hate. as well you should. Yeah. There's a lot of it. Hey, and you know, speaking of our friend, by the way, um, that's, uh, you know, the guy who introduced us passed away this week. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah. And I know he was a listener to the podcast, and uh, his wife um, listens, and hopefully she's listening now. We just, our heart goes out, and we we have such a history. Like, we were in, uh, he was our drummer for yeah. many years in our band, and uh, his name is Brian, and we just have such a history together. He really was the reason I got back into church. Yeah. Because I was kind of away uh, and from, like, 18 to like 22 I just wasn't in church at all and I'd heard that this guy that I knew growing up had become a youth pastor and I couldn't believe it because he was such a kind of a crazy guy and I was like there's no way yeah like wild teen years yeah and my brother was like no you gotta go see him he's preaching like a house of fire it's unbelievable and so I kind of went to prove to myself that it was fake you know in a way and I was so moved by seeing what was going on there at the church. And then that just kind of was it. I was sucked in back into the orbit of. Was that first of, week you came the first week we met? I met, I came on a Wednesday night and then I came oh, okay. that Sunday. That Sunday. And that's yeah. when I met you. You weren't there that Wednesday because you had started school at UT, I think. Yeah. So Brian, I met Brian at youth camp. Yeah. And we'd all both gone to youth camp forever. And he knew Laura, my wife from youth camp. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I knew of him yeah. when I was a kid, even. He was a little older. And then when I was, the summer before I was going to UT, I met him there and someone introduced us and he was in Knoxville already. He was like, yeah. well, hey man, come on up. So yeah, I came up, visited the church, you know, um, stayed at his house with him and his parents. And, um, you know, he wasn't married yet. You know, and and we just really, he's such a fun oh, yeah. and talented guy. Like Brian was so like charismatic. Yeah, you know? so funny. Uh, just effortlessly funny and a fun person to be around. Uh, yeah, and Caleb Mercurial uh, in that way too. Uh, so you could fight with him too. Uh, but I don't know, man. Yeah, there was, he was something about, like you said, there were people in his orbit. I That's the best way I could say. Yeah. He just had there was a magnetism to him and uh you know obviously we've lived on this side of the state for a long time we lost touch with him quite a while ago but uh i've i know you've stayed in touch with him a little bit on facebook and i've stayed in touch with cindy some um and just kept tabs on him and uh you know it's i don't know what's going on with with their family i know it's been a rough time for them the last few years and i just, it's a sad day it's a yeah. sad day and um we, uh, but man, we remember such good times. I remember us doing ministry together early on. Like, there's stories that are so crazy. Like, remember the time, was this Johnson City when he was trying to get everybody, kids to come to the rally and he challenged them to a basketball game and said, if I, if we win, you have yes. to come tonight. And you told, I wasn't there that day. I came that night because we were playing that night. And I you was go, on dude, that team. You go, dude, he was hitting from half court. We all were. <laughs> we were in a, it was like a, it was like a, 
uh, I use the term inner city, yeah. Johnson City thing. I know it's not a big town, but we were trying to get kids out. And yeah, they were like, oh, we ain't coming. That's crazy. And he was like, you know what? Because we were at the community center yeah. and inviting a bunch of kids. And so, yeah, he was like, a, so he's two. And we were in our 20s. Yeah. So we're not, it wouldn't be as. Yeah, it'd be crazier now. <laughs> it's a 40 year old challenging and, kids. And again, you you know, Brian was, was a great basketball player. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yes, we would get into fights on the basketball court, you know, cause, cause oh, yeah, he was intense. Both lose. And he never fouled you ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember we had a big, remember that big fight we were in North Carolina or something doing a camp yeah. and he, I mean, I don't know. He just like tackled me or something when I was coming in, you know, and uh, we had a good, a good conversation after that. And so <laughs> we're just kids still, you know, yeah. ourselves. And, um, I remember, yeah, we played these guys. I mean, they were like good, and we were like not. Yeah, and we just couldn't miss. And we, we you know, it was, at the time it felt. I know it sounds silly, but it it felt very like yeah, like you're evangelizing. Like the one time yeah. in our life, God was on my side for basketball. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and they did. They came, and lots of kids, you know, made decisions and stuff. And we played. Um, that was a special memory. But we traveled everywhere, dude. We yeah, it was all back before. You expected to get paid. Oh, yeah. You were just I mean, grateful was, to be together. You oh, know? yeah. Get a lot of places said, well, you can have all the pizza you want. Yeah. We're like, see you there. Yeah. And we would travel with our college ministry group, you know, and, um, and you know, stay in people's houses. And we'd take the Toyota van. If you've ever listened to old Scarlet Thread music, the song about Toyota van, that's what that's, you know, that, that was, we really took an old oh, 80s Toyota van. Like, we'd go to Indiana Kentucky, Alabama. I mean, we were all over the place. And a lot in West Tennessee, seems yeah. like. It did a lot of West Tennessee. Um, I remember the Toyota van. The worst thing about it was the engine was under the seat. Mm. And so you'd have to flip up the front driver's seat like a hood to get to the engine, which made it hot. It's one of the reasons they don't make those vans anymore, because you're sitting on a hot engine. And... The thing that would made it hard for us was we had all our gear loaded in behind that seat. So, yeah. I mean, it's packed in speakers, amps, everything. And it drunk, it drank oil really bad. It burned oil really bad. So if we were going to West Tennessee, we wouldn't get to a whole trip. The oil light would come on. Yeah. We have to pull over 100-degree heat, unload the van yeah. so that I could flip the seat back to put more oil in it. Yep. So a lot of those times, Brian would be driving it or he'd be with me and I'd be like, oh, you're not going to believe this. The light's on. Yeah. Because we just didn't want to blow the car up, so we'd have to pull over and do it. Yeah. So we'd just be on the side of the road. Just craziness. And we'd often do a show on a Saturday night somewhere, and we were all youth leaders. Yeah. We were on the worship team at church, and we would drive almost all night. And sometimes borrowing gear from the church that we had to go plug back in. So that we could have worship the next morning. Yeah. And Brian was a youth pastor. And we were youth leaders. I would be teaching Sunday school yeah. and we would, and, and, and in college. And we're we just would, running on fumes. Just, I mean, absolutely ran. <laughs> We'd stop at, uh, at uh, not IOP, at uh, Waffle House at 2 a.m. or mm-hmm. whatever. And it was a lot of great memories. And uh, we just are, are for real, like, man, my, I've been heartbroken this week. And, um, you know, we love Cindy and, and the family and you know, just you're in our prayers. And uh, yeah. I'm very, very sorry for your loss, and he will be he'll be missed. So I know, again, like you said, I haven't had a lot. It's just life, you know, you just grow to other places and move and yeah. do other things. And um, But, you know, he had 
uh, reached out on Facebook really a few months ago. It's right. the first time I talked to him in years. And, um, just about the podcast and so that was special yeah he would reach out and say things to me oh man we he'd watch a clip of mine or something and say yeah. hey man you got fans here and we love your stuff and yeah so yeah it's um like i said they've had a, i know he's had a they had a tough time the last uh few years and um we just uh we're praying for him and and uh hope she has some peace yeah. and uh he'll be missed yeah well, well, you know, we don't normally end on a low note kind of thing, but you know, it's this part of life as, uh, at times we, we have, uh, just sad moments. And so, Hey, you know, <clears throat> in fact, next week, Johnny, I don't know if you saw, there's an email that came in with a question. That's a, a, a pretty serious question from one of our listeners that we're, we're going to tackle next week. Um, okay. and, um, would be a, a good conversation from something we said in another that they asked us to expound upon and. So, you know, we, we that's have a, a lot that's of, what you call on radio a tease. That's right. That's right. We have a lot of fun here, but like we said, I mean, it should be normal to have fun and also have uh deep conversations and, and share pain and share joy. So hey, we appreciate you sharing it with us. Uh and we really want to thank all of you guys who are uh patrons. Uh it was cool. A lot of our patrons posted uh from the packages they received about the books. Patrons and- posted about their packages? <laughs> Please. <laughs> So if uh, we know we know times are tough right now, so we appreciate you guys, uh, you know, helping us out to continue as we promote. And it really has made a difference. We've we've uh, gained a lot of new listeners and and new downloads. And so we're going to continue to try to move forward. Uh, So appreciate you being a part of that. If you're uh, interested in being a patron, uh, you can go check out our account. Just go to patreon.com and look up Talk About That. And uh, there's also a link on our website at talkaboutthatpodcast.com where you can uh, listen on any platform, whether it's Apple or Android or otherwise, uh, Spotify, all those places. You can go to our website and see that. You also Zune. Uh, Zoom. People still have a Zoom player? I don't think so. I think Zoom. Oh, come on. I think Zoom went away. But you can go and uh, you can uh, see that link there to donate if you want. And we do have some gifts at certain levels that we send you out some uh, some books and, and DVDs and other things from us. So if you're interested in that, go check out our Patreon page and um, send us topics. We will next week and uh, we're going to cover one of those topics. And we always love to, to hear from you what it is you want to hear us talk about. As I think this may be episode 120, John. Mm. I mean, it's a it's so many. Every week feels like a mile marker for some reason. It does. Because every week is a mile marker, Johnny. We've gone another mile down the road. That's right. Not, not necessarily on a horse, though. We're not going to take it out of context. No, no horsery here. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> were so intense. Uh, it's so funny. So... Intense, Johnny. That's what he would have done. Is S E W so intense because he's, he's so a, intense. He was a tent maker. Is <laughs> 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 oh, that's just so ridiculous. So, Johnny, we could write a Broadway production. We got uh, the talent, guys. Look at this. Look for that ten years yeah, from now. Years Where's from my now. Pulitzer? That's right. That's right. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll talk about that. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. 
but it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.